All right. Before we get going, I do have to thank some new Patreon subscribers. I got Donna Smith, Whitney Madison, and Jeremy. I do greatly appreciate that. I hope you guys are enjoying the bonus episodes, three of them a month on the uh, Patreon feed. If you'd like to sign up, check out the tiers. It is patreon.com slash mysterious circumstances. Whole bunch of stuff on there for you. If you would like to make that one-time donation, you go to Venmo, and uh, my handle on there is at Podcast. I do have to say, this is obviously a paranormal episode. Uh, it is a couple days late. Sponsors might be a little bit mad about that, but, uh, you know, I gotta do what I gotta do. So, here's the deal. When I do a paranormal episode, I try to find one that hasn't been done a hundred thousand times. This is one out of Merrill, Michigan, Saginaw County. And for those of you who have Amazon, which I just subscribed to Amazon like two weeks ago. So I've been binge watching all these shows on there. And there's a show, a couple documentaries on there that have been made by a guy named Steve Shippey. Uh, For those of you who have seen those, this one is called The Haunting on Dice Road. And it really piqued my interest because it's like half movie, half documentary, you know? So I was like, "This is this fucking real, you know, or is this fake? So I got to looking into it. And sure as shit, the, the whole police reports, this stuff really happened, you know? But when I approach a paranormal case, you guys know I'm going to try to debunk it the best that I can with facts, a little bit of history, try to figure out what's really going on. So how this episode is going to work is I'm going to go through and I'm going to tell you the story. After I tell you the story, you know, as it's told by the documentary and um, some of the research that I found in the Saginaw newspapers and stuff like that, which Saginaw newspapers deserve a lot of credit for uh, some of my research towards the story, but a lot of the history that I came up with, I got to give credit where it's due. I don't know. I don't even know if it's a book, but it's called Looking Backward by W.G. Shannon. And uh, W.G. Shannon is a guy from Jonesfield Township, which is where Merrill, Michigan is located. He was a respected, highly respected Saginaw County historian for a very long time. He was born in 1887. He died in 1962. And he pretty much documented Actually, he didn't pretty much. He did. He documented the entire history of the town up until about the 1950s, early 1960s before he died. And uh, all of this stuff was published by his grandson, Kevin O'Brien, in 2002. So you can find it on online and read through it. Super interesting if you're into that boring history shit. But there's also some pretty funny stories from people, you know, back in like the 1800s and shit. It's pretty cool. So... There's, you know, the credit words due. Um, you know, check out A Haunting on Dice Road on Amazon. I don't know if it's prime or free. I'm kind of new to the whole Amazon thing, so definitely check that out. And I suppose with all that being said, let's get on with the show. This podcast contains adult content. Some of the themes or topics may include information on murder, kidnapping, torture, dismemberment, Maybe some demonic content with information on positions and paranormal activity. This podcast will also include explicit, horrible and foul, socially unacceptable, totally uninhibited, adult themes language, 
So if you're easily offended, if you're easily triggered, then I highly suggest you turn this off now. And if not, just keep in mind, parental discretion is advised. There are a lot of things that happen in this world that are unexplainable. And I would also say that many of these things were not to know. It was scary, really. I mean, just thought of, God, once it gets dark, you know, it's going to start up tonight again. Mr. Pomerang had called the Sheriff's Department and stated that he had heard someone walking around outside his house and that someone was beating on the side of his house. He reported us that it's been happening for some time and he's beginning to wonder why this department has failed to catch someone. And the area was checked and no signs of persons being around the house or in the area. Every night when the pounding would start, my dad still called the Santa County Sheriff's Department. They came out, I mean, every night. Some nights, multiple times, they'd come out and uh, never seen nothing. It was getting to a point where a lot of guys didn't even want to go out there. It was the same thing over and over. Throwing that holy water all around the house, outside and inside, made matters worse. That's what it sounded like. Just a boom, boom, boom. Yeah. You could hear it, but you couldn't see anybody. If it would have been somebody inside, the drywall would have been broke. Find no wires, no devices, and had to conclude that uh, there was no physical evidence present. Bam, bam, bam. There was what I recall, two plates on that wall. And that wall, whatever was hitting it, it hit so hard that those plates just started bouncing. Harold immediately yelled out, See, I told you. Now explain that to me. You tell me what that sound. Everybody in the house wasn't counted for. That was pretty much my experience of the house. This is where something happened, uh, you know, to our family. Probably around a half hour after we got home, uh, I was downstairs and we had a downstairs door at the time. I was probably five feet away from that door. Now this was probably around midnight at that time. And all of a sudden I hear three knocks on the door, open it up, there's nobody there. Those knocks, on our door happened three times in probably a five or six day period. Our family took that as, I guess you would call it a warning. You may not want to become involved in something that you shouldn't. So we never did go back to the house. The number of man hours attributed to this case is immeasurable, it's immense. I never saw this much investigation done on a homicide myself and another deputy staked the house out. Now, it was raining that night, the way I remember it was raining, and all of a sudden we did hear some banging. My partner says, well, I'm gonna go this way, you go that way, and well, whatever it is, we're gonna get them. So I went to the west side of the house, my partner went to the east side of the house. Well, the noise came, and I yelled to my partner, he said, well, I heard it, but I don't see anything. So again, we checked, it had been raining, there was uh, dampness on the ground, or rain and the grass was wet, there was absolutely nothing there that would indicate anyone had been walking around uh, the side of that house. I recall in being in the car one night and was listening to the radio traffic. It was quiet, quiet night, just driving around town. I heard uh, one of the officers from Saginaw County Sheriff's Department, he was telling his officers to surround this house. And then I heard him say, the noises are starting to happen. We got a radio call from inside the house where Captain McGall was and said there was pounding on the front door. Is anyone at the front door? I did not hear the pounding. 
you could hear it from his radio being transmitted through his radio into my radio. We reported back, no, there is no one at that front door. We had the other officers check in and they indicated as well there's no one around that house. This is an article from the Saginaw News. In 1974, this home on Dice Road in Merrill began experiencing strange events. The Pomeranian family who lived there at the time filed dozens of police reports where they described loud pounding on the walls, voices, and even unexplainable fires. The Saginaw County Sheriff's Department was baffled. Michigan State Police couldn't figure it out. And universities, priests, and other agencies never found out what caused the occurrences. Police had put the home under surveillance without the family's knowledge, and researchers and police have stayed overnight in the home. The mystery was never solved. Okay, so here is the story side. In the 1800s and early 1900s, the town of Merrill was hit with smallpox, diphtheria, malaria, and instead of getting help, they were forcefully shut inside their homes for quarantine, and then the town was set on fire and burned to the ground. People died from these diseases. Everybody lost everything. Their whole town was literally burned to the ground so they could start over. Bodies, clothes, buildings, the church, everything. So men and women and children affected could have been burned alive or left to die these miserable, terrifying deaths. Now, the Pomeranian house was built in 1951 by Harold Pomeranian prior to the marriage to his wife. It is a, it's a house on the end of Dice Road, and here is the first call that we know of that happened that gained attention from the Saginaw County Sheriff's Department. Harold Pomeranian contacted them after hearing loud banging on the side of his house in July of 1974. A guy named Charles Frisbee, who you're going to hear me reference him quite a bit because he dealt with these calls for two, two years straight. He worked for the Sheriff's Department from 1971 until he retired as a sergeant in 2000. Frisbee is one of the deputies who would visit the home many, many times over that year and a half span. What he goes on to say about the first call, the one in July of 1974, he says, I checked the area and found no evidence that anyone had been around the house. So the noises went and continued, and Pomeranian continued to call the police. And sometimes he would call them several times a night. Frisbee says, at first, it was just complaints that someone was beating on the side of the house. And then Frisbee says that on his second visit to the house, that's when things started to get a little bit strange. He said, while I was standing there talking to him, a painting fell and a coffee cup fell off the table. So all these officers are making several trips a week to the Pomeranian house. Like this dude is experiencing this shit 24-7, which makes it a little bit more interesting because you usually don't, with paranormal cases, see 
you know, a lot of phone calls to the local authorities during the day. But this is going on 24-7, doesn't matter. On September 1st, 1974, Harold Pomeranian calls the cops, says someone is beating on the house. The cops show up, they check the area, they find absolutely nothing. On September 9th, 1974, 12.44 a.m., Harold Pomeranian calls the cops, says he heard someone walking around outside and beating on his house. The area was checked by two deputies, and they found nothing. The best part was Harold Pomeranian also complained to the cops that, why aren't you guys figuring this out? Like, I've called you so many times in the last few months. You guys are here several times a week. Why haven't you figured this shit out yet? So that was also one of the complaints that was filed. The next night, on September 10th, 1974, Harold calls the cops, says there's someone beating on his door. The officers arrived, and they even heard the thumping noises themselves. And they hit the house with the spotlights and saw absolutely nothing. September 13th, a couple days later, 1974, calls again. Someone is beating on the house. Cops show up, the area is checked, they find nothing. The next night, same as all the other calls before. Okay, and, the, and at this point, the family is starting to get really, really mad at the cops because they can't figure out what's going on. Harold Pomeranian thinks that, you know, someone is screwing with them. He's like, there's kids out here beating on the side of my house, beating on my door. Like, why haven't you caught them? Why haven't you figured it out yet? The cops are just like, they actually had experienced and heard some of the pounding. Dude, they hit the house with fucking spotlights couldn't see anything never found anything never saw footprints nothing and that's what makes this case super interesting because there is so much so much documentation and police reports that i it's more than i've ever seen on a paranormal case it's truly intriguing so when shit starts escalating check this out on halloween night 1974 harold pomeranian's wife calls Saginaw Sheriff's Department to report a pounding on the house. And this is according to the police report. The family did not know at that time that two deputies had the house under surveillance. This is according to a guy named Captain Earl McGraw, and he's the one who took the complaint. The family did not know that the house was under surveillance at the time, and the cops saw nothing. The officers who were watching the home told McGraw that they did not see anything or anyone moving around the outside at the time of the pounding. And this is according to the police report. The Saginaw County Sheriff's Department shows that the family reported pounding on the home. Now, like I said, the family didn't know that the cops had the home under surveillance at the time. The cops had the house under surveillance and they saw nothing going on while she's literally calling them saying, somebody is pounding on the side of my house like get your asses over here so frisbee he says it continued and a lot of officers would go out and we wouldn't find anything so we decided to stake it out and that's how all that went down and he says on the stakeout i was about to give up and right at that moment we heard the beating on the house so we both went around the house and this is frisbee and another uh deputy that he was with Frisbee and the other deputy saw absolutely nothing. Frisbee said, We looked for footprints in the mud. There was nothing. They thought maybe it could have been a certain neighborhood kid that was known as a little bit of a troublemaker. 
but they checked with him and he was at home the entire time. So on another occasion, Frisbee and another deputy brought a canine dog out there. Frisbee says when it was time to leave, they had to walk closer to the home, but they said that the canine wouldn't move. And this is what he says. We had to muscle him into the car. He jumped right in there and laid back down when he got into the car. Other than that, that dog would not go anywhere around that house. He said they had to even muscle him past the house to get him into the car to get him the hell out of there. The best part, like I said about this, is some of these uh, reports are available online. And I just happen to have one right here. This is dated 10-31-74, Nature of Complaint was a Prowler by the owner of the home. Says at approximately 6.35 p.m., says I, McGraw, arrived at the uh, above address. The wife advised us that they heard a uh, pounding again at about 6.30. I called dispatch and uh, was informed the call came in at 6.33 p.m. Unknown to the family, Sergeant Clark and Corporal Spear had the house under surveillance. Corporal Spear had the south side and east side covered, and Sergeant Clark had the west and north side covered. Checking with both officers later in the evening, nothing was seen moving around the outside at the time the pounding took place. And then, according to Sergeant Clark's report, it says, I asked each member of the family where they were located at the time the knocking took place. The mother was in the living room and the oldest son was washing dishes. The youngest son was drying dishes. Wednesday, 10-31-74, I, McGraw, and my wife visited the family and we entered the home on Dice Road. We heard knocking. We could not tell where it came from. During the time of the knocking, a neighbor was watching the back of the house and east side. We did not see any movement outside. Saturday, 10-26-74, around 9.50 p.m., I, McGraw, and my wife parked in the yard next door to the home. Shortly after we arrived, a call came over our radio that there was knocking on the southeast corner of the house. We saw nothing moving outside. We could see the southeast side of the house. And then they go on to say there will be a meeting with all officers involved to decide what the next step will be. So here's the second part of the report, the supplementary report. It was uh, completed on 11-174. And uh, the nature of the complaint is an unknown noise at the house. It says these officers arrived at the area at approximately 5.45 p.m. and took up our planned positions. Corporal Spear was located approximately 100 feet to the east of the home, where he could observe the northeast and south sides of the home. This officer was located on the west end of the home, where the north, south, and west sides of the home. This officer was approximately 150 feet from the home in the ditch of the west side of, of Chapin Road. A short while after taking position, this officer observed the youngest son come from the home and walk to the doghouse, just southwest of the home, and scrape a metal object. It is believed that he was feeding the dog. Having done this, he walked back to the home toward the south wall. Approximately five minutes later, this officer observed the same subject come from the north side of the garage and walk toward the doghouse and stop. He stood there a short period and went back to the house by the first route described above. At approximately 6.30 p.m., this officer was advised by dispatch that someone was pounding on the house. 
This officer requested dispatch to call the party and get location of the noise. This dispatcher reported the noise came from the north side of the home. This officer took no action as no person or animal was observed moving or being present on the north side of the home or the west side. No one was observed during the period moving around the outer area of the home. Children escorted by adults came and left the home for approximately one hour. So, pretty weird, right? It gets way better. On January 5th, 1975... A supplementary report from the Sheriff's Department stated that the police from Lansing, Michigan, spent the night in the home the night before and departed around 6 a.m. that day. Police were monitoring the home for reports of explosions. A deputy had been dispatched to the home at 1.50 p.m. At about 2.30 p.m., another deputy from the Sheriff's Department was dispatched to the home, and another one was dispatched at 3 p.m. The deputy wrote in the report that 13 blasts were heard between 1.50 and 3.48 p.m. And here's the police report from that, dated 1.575. And the nature of the complaint is explosions. And it's by uh, investigating officer Davis. And it says this officer was again dispatched to the above address at about 2.30 p.m. Upon arrival, this officer was informed that the sergeants from Lansing had spent the night at the residence and had departed about 6 a.m. that day. Nothing had happened until about 1.50 p.m. This officer arrived at about 3 p.m. with Deputy Sugar and we heard the last four blasts. Times of the blast were as follows. 1.50, one fifty, one fifty eight, two oh seven, two eleven, two thirteen, two seventeen, two twenty four, two twenty eight, two fifty five, three fifteen, three seventeen, and three forty eight PM there were two blasts. It was reported to this officer by Mr. Pomeranin that while the sergeants from Lansing were at the residence nothing happened. They heard a blast or two, but were unable to get their equipment set up to record anything on it. At this time, there is nothing further I can add. <laughs> it's fucking insane, man. Like, there's literally three cops there, while at least 10 or 12 of these explosions occurred. They don't even know, like, what the hell it is. You know what I'm saying? They just hear these fucking loud blasts, like, right outside the house, and they're like, what the fuck is going on? On January 21st, 1975, there is an article published in the Saginaw News, which is on the front page of the paper, and it was the deputies who had slept in the house one night had told a reporter by the name of Fred Garrett from the Saginaw News, who wrote this article, that they had heard the first name of the owner come drifting down from quote-unquote somewhere. In the same article, police said that even with the electricity and gas turned off, the pounding and sounds continued. Another deputy said, quote, We know something electrical is causing it, and we know there is no gas explosions. It's not witchcraft, but the owner is one scared guy. End quote. Now, Frisbee, the guy who I've been mentioning, said that an officer friend had told him that when he was taking a report at the home one day, he felt something press on his chest, but nothing was there. And that cop refused to go back to the house after that. He also says, 
that a paranormal expert from Sweden examined the home and that the investigation into the occurrences in the home went from the sheriff's department to the state police and then to the state fire marshal. Frisbee says, we never proved either way whether it was an elaborate hoax or paranormal activity. If it was a prank, it was a really good one. So now, <laughs> after the owner of the home, Harold Pomeraining, sees this on the front page, he is livid, man. He is so mad. And uh, he ends up filing a complaint about it being on the front page of the paper because he didn't know. Like, nobody contacted him. Like, they had a picture of his house and any and everything. You can actually look it up and see it. You, unfortunately, you can't read the article because it's super blurry. I wanted to read it. But yeah, there was a complaint filed about that, and it was a complaint filed against the Saginaw News on 121.75. Officer assigned to it was Corporal Vern Clark. And the complaint, like it says, you know, he was pissed about it being in the paper. And then the complaint, you know, it further states that he did not give anyone permission to release this information to the public. And further would like to know how the news got hold of this information. And he further states that Mr. Fred Garrett of the News did contact him to request certain information, but Harold Pomeraney refused to supply, you know, any information. Goes on to say, Harold would like to know who these deputies and police officers are that the news makes reference to in the article. Uh, the cop uh, assures Harold Pomeraney in the police report that he had no idea, you know, who the article was referring to, but that an investigation would be conducted in an attempt to find out where the news did get this information. And uh, he also advised Harold Pomeraney that the complaint would be turned over to his superiors. So then, a little bit later, on February 12th, 1975, this is some crazy shit. According to a police report filed with the Michigan State Police, the next day, the following day on February 13, 1975, a roll of tissue burned on the dispenser. Now, according to this report, the Pomeranians were preparing to go to church for Ash Wednesday, and they smelled smoke and discovered the roll of tissue burning in the bathroom. Police wanted to administer a lie detector test to one of the sons, but he had epilepsy. And he was on a lot of medication, so they decided against it, right? So, in a continuation of this report, the fire marshal said the roll of tissue, rolled in a normal fashion, would not be able to get sufficient oxygen to produce enough heat to sustain burning. And he called it, quote-unquote, next to humanly impossible. The weirdest part about this is, that night, Two researchers from Duke University had been conducting extensive testing at the residence to determine the source of the strange noises and occurrences taking place in the home. And here is the police report from that. Now, some of this I can't read because it gets really, really blurry, but it says interviews. Mr. Pomeraney advised that he had built the house himself in October of 1951 prior to his marriage and that they had lived in the house since that time. Further that on Wednesday night, 2 that they had another fire 
which they did not report, and that consisted of the burning of a roll of toilet paper hanging on the toilet paper dispenser in the bathroom. Mr. Pomeraning advised that he was not home at the time, that Mrs. Pomeraning and Duane were there at the time. Officer re-interviewed Mrs. Pomeraning and Duane about this incident. They advised that there was approximately half a roll of toilet paper on the dispenser. That about 4.25 p.m. they could smell the odor of smoke in the house and they were preparing to go to church for Ash Wednesday. They went to the bathroom and looked in and saw that the roll of toilet paper was burnt almost completely through and that a couple of tiles had been popped off the wall just above the toilet paper dispenser and that the curtains above them were singed. Undersigned officer interviewed James Dazelski and Fred Schmidt. The former is an adjuster with Frankenmuth Mutual Insurance Company, and the latter is the claims manager of Frankenmuth Mutual Insurance Company. They advised that they were at the Pomeranian residence on the morning of Tuesday, 2-13-75, and that the Pomeranians had showed them the toilet paper, which was burned the previous night. They advised there was nothing left of the toilet paper with the exception of a small amount of ash, which clung to the dispenser. The Pomeranians were questioned as to their willingness to take a polygraph examination as to the involvement in setting the fires. They all advised that they were willing to take the polygraph and they very much desired to reach a conclusion to this matter as the problems in the house have been occurring since July of 1974 and they were as anxious as anybody to get the matter cleared up. And then on a second half of this report, which is, uh, it's not very much, you know, this is, uh, the remarks from the officer who took the complaint and it says, uh, it should be noted that two members of Duke University Physical Research Foundation, Durham, North Carolina, have been conducting extensive testing at the residence to determine the source of the strange noises and strange occurrences taking place there. It is felt by all parties involved that there is some supernatural phenomena occurring at this location and that it also could be the cause of the fires which have occurred. It is the understanding of undersigned officer that the burning of the roll of toilet paper is next to humanly impossible when it is rolled up in a normal toilet paper type roll as it is unable to get sufficient oxygen to produce enough heat to sustain burning. However, tests will be made in regard to the roll of toilet paper by undersigned officer. And then the status after that said uh, open pending further investigation. Well, do you want to know how that turned out? They couldn't burn the roll of toilet paper when it was rolled up. So at this point, the Saginaw County Sheriff's Department is completely like, what the hell is going on? Michigan State Police couldn't figure it out. You have universities, priests, everybody under the sun that could not find out how these occurrences were happening. Charles Frisbee said that the area in general is weird. He said the Dice Corridor is kind of strange. We have the cemetery on one end and the Pomeranian home up the road. And Dice Road, I believe, is a 13-mile stretch of road, and it's just north of Merrill, which Merrill... Michigan is a town, uh, as of the census in 2010, it was just under 800 people. Like, it's technically considered a village, where it was, at least. Police from different agencies and university researchers even stayed overnight in the house, 
and deputies staked it out on several occasions. They had priests, a canine unit, a paranormal expert from Sweden were all called in to assist with the investigation. Want to hear the craziest part? In 1975, the case was closed after a fire forced the family to move. Nothing was ever found to explain the mysterious occurrences. And actually, here is a list of all the agencies that had people investigate these occurrences, whether it be going to the house, staying overnight, staking the house out. You ready for this list? Several churches and priests, the Michigan State Police, the Michigan State Police Fire Marshal Division, the Michigan State Police Intelligence Technical Service Unit, Tri-City Airport, Saginaw County Sheriff's Department, Merrill Police Department, Jonesfield Township Fire Department, Lakefield Township Fire Department, Duke University, Michigan Department of Health, Michigan State Police Polygraph Examination Unit, Federal Aviation Agency, Consumers Power Company, and the Michigan Bell Telephone Company. All of these agencies investigated this and could not come up with any legitimate explanation for any of these occurrences. So, you know, you're going to hear a lot of scientists. I actually conferred with uh, one of my friends of mine. She's a scientist. Her name's Megan. And I sent her this case. And she's like, this is super intriguing because you have stuff going on around the clock, 24 hours a day, while cops are there. You have police reports coming in about pounding on a certain area of the house that police are literally staking out. And you can hear the pounding from inside the house on the cop radio, man. You know, the little... But you can't hear the pounding or see anything from outside of the house. And then, of course, you know, a lot of scientists, well... Ah, it's impossible, blah, blah, blah. Okay, but no scientist has given a legitimate reason of why it's impossible. There's a lot of shit we can't explain out there. And trust me, I'm a person of science. I'm a hard skeptic, but I also have an open mind, and I understand. And I'm not so arrogant to think that, oh, yeah, well, you know, humans understand everything. We've got it all figured out bullshit you know what i'm saying so here's what the next family had to say i do know their names i don't really want to mention it on the podcast though but the family who moved in afterward they raised two daughters in this house okay and they lived there at the time of the publication of this article they had lived there for 38 years i think this article was published in 2016 so when they bought the home it was remodeled on the inside because of the previous fire the guy who bought it was from Merrill, so he knew the history of the home when they bought it. The wife of the couple says, uh, we knew it was haunted. You know, at first we were hesitant. She says, uh, we've never had the feeling it was haunted, though there were a few things that happened out of the ordinary. There was a time when I couldn't find a handicap place card that uh, my husband placed on a table in the home, but it somehow ended up in the glove compartment of my vehicle. And she says, well, you know, we thought that was really mysterious. Yeah, 
yeah, it's pretty true. Could have been fucking anybody, you know, could have been a kid or whatever. But she, she does say that they never experienced anything in the home that scared her or her family. But there was a time when an antique radio began to crackle. And she says it's not so weird until you factor in the fact that it was not plugged into the wall. Old hardcore electronics, but here's the deal if it doesn't have any kind of power source. That's kind of weird. And uh, they do say that the family has never really experienced anything of the sort that the Pomeranian family reported. They said that they have never heard loud pounding noises or voices that terrified the, the Pomeranian family. But, apparently while the guy named Steve Shippey was there filming the documentary and investigating, she says her daughters did hear the pounding noises, but she goes on to say, we've never had anything happen here that really scared us. According to Steve Shippey, the guy who made the, you know, quote-unquote documentary or whatever, it's it's half documentary, half movie, it's really weird how he made it, but it's it's pretty decent, it's like four four stars or something, four and a half stars. He says, to me, when you spend all of those resources and can't prove anything either way, you did prove that it was paranormal activity. There is no paranormal case in the world with even a tenth of this police activity. Look at the sophisticated gear that the state police brought out, the dog's reaction, and all of the things they brought in to try to figure this out. He says he talked to ex-officers who worked on the investigation. He talked to neighbors and anyone he could find who might know something about the home. He did a, you know, a quote-unquote investigation there. He says there's something definitely going on there. And I will admit, okay, you know, when I think about a case like this, the first thing that comes to mind is poltergeist activity. You have a younger son who has epilepsy, you know, he's in his, in his teens, you see poltergeist cases a lot with uh, people in their teens, you know, who have suffered trauma, or even possibly going through puberty. When you start getting into poltergeist activity and look at several different cases, which some of them are pretty damn intriguing, it's touch and go, you gotta take it as it is. But the fact that nothing has really happened there, you know, with the exception of when the guy shooting the documentary was investigating there. That's, you know, take that with a grain of salt. So here's some of the theories, and I'm then I'm going to give you some information that I found on my own accord. Some of the theories. Steve Shippey believes that what might have happened is the Pomeranian home may have been cursed after Harold Pomeranian had a, had a dispute with a neighbor believed to be a witch. The lady approached Pomeranian several times to buy his home, and after refusing her offers, Pomeranian had enough and had a heated exchange with this woman. According to Steve Shippey, he said some choice words to her. The rumor is that she may have cast a spell on their home for refusing to sell it to her. Now, according to Steve Shippey, he says he has tracked this woman down, but has not interviewed her. Take that shit with a grain of salt. That's all I'm going to say. 50% of urban legends, there's something with a witch putting a curse on somebody or something. Alright? And granted, you know, maybe it did happen. But there's nothing to even prove that, first off, this woman was a witch. She was believed to be a witch. Dude, people back in the 50s, 60s, and 70s, if they were eccentric or wore black or liked the the dark shit like any one of us listening to paranormal or true crime podcasts 
oh man, that must be a witch, you know? It's, you know, it's total bullshit. So check this out. There's another thing there. The Dice Road Cemetery. It's a very big place for ghost lore around the area, and it is, uh, it's located just east of Hemlock Road right there. And of course, it has one of the infamous Lady in Whites. You know what I'm saying? We've all heard that urban legend, that ghost story, and pretty much how this story goes. There's a ghost of Anna Rhodes Millerton. She died by suicide in 1830. And what happened was she had heard that her husband had died in a shipwreck and she ended up committing suicide. But what happened was he was not on the ship. So when he came home and found out his wife died and, uh, you know, he lived out his life. He ended up living to be about 74 years old. So as a local legend has it, this lost soul wanders the forest hills around Dice Road Cemetery in Richfield Township, which is in Saginaw County, and where she awaits patiently for her lover's return, perhaps unaware that she has been dead for nearly 200 years. Like I said, take that shit with a grain of salt, please. There's a lady in white ghost story. Any state you go to, you probably got like five or ten of them, you know what I mean? I Maybe there was a woman who took her own life back in 1830. I don't, I don't know, you know, but I, I really don't think that would have anything to do with the Pomeranian haunting, but it's one of those things that keeps coming up because it's a dice road. Uh, her ghost is also involved in another haunted location on dice road, which is a place that used to be a general store, which, um, you're actually about to hear me talk about it. Because do you remember at the beginning of the episode when I told you about all those smallpox and, you know, all those epidemics that broke out and everybody had to be quarantined and forced inside and the entire town was burnt to the ground and shit? So check this out. Fires. 1881, there was a big fire in what's known as the Thumb District, which is northeast of Saginaw Bay. It burned homes, farms, businesses, People lost everything. It totally ruined the economy to the point that people straight up left for the West Coast. The crazy thing about this, too, is this is actually how Merrill got its name, <laughs> the village of Merrill. Here's a little history lesson for you. There was a railroad running through town, and it was the only thing that had any kind of supply of water for fires. But the railroad company wanted to keep it for the sake of the railroad and for the railroad employees. A guy named N.W. Merrill, he was against that. He straight up was like, listen, fuck you guys. This water should be for the entire town. You can't just do this for the sake of a railroad. What if a fire comes through? Well, because of this, the fire was actually stopped before it hit the town of Merrill. So... Before then, it was, I, I think, just known as uh, Jonesfield Township. Basically, because of this, this guy, the, the townspeople just started calling the place Merrill. Pretty awesome, right? But no fires in the town of Merrill whatsoever. 1898, Jonesfield Township, which is where Merrill's located. There was about four stores that burned down. And there were no deaths. In May of 1903... Ed Butler's house, and it was right on the north edge of Merrill, which probably would be up around by Dice Road. 
what happened is his wife started a fire in the stove with kindling and a little shot of kerosene on there too. And after lighting the fire in the stove, she put the kerosene can on top of the stove and she forgot it was there. And she went to go to her mother's house, which was like a half a block away. And about as soon as she got to her mother's house, the can boiled over, hit the flame from the stove and exploded. And the house just starts burning and just fills with smoke, starts going up in flames. The sad fact about this is two girls named Pearl and Anna Gill, who were the nieces of the butlers, uh, they who they had adopted, they were asleep in an upstairs bedroom. The fire department got there, right? And the girls were trapped. And one of the guys there, one of the local guys, he ran into the house because everybody else was just standing around watching the house burn to the ground. And he ends up running into the house and he checked and the girls were already dead. Uh, I checked to see if he survived or not. I do know his name. I wrote it down, but I can't remember. But this is the only fatal fire in Merrill as of like 1965 or maybe even 2002 if uh, this W.G. Shannon's grandson or, you know, maybe revised some of the history. As of 1962, from like 1850, this is the only fatal fire in Merrill. And granted, it is up around, you know, the Dice Road area, but yeah, there's no town that's getting burnt to the ground. You know, there's some stores and shit in town. Another big fire was the winter of 1907-08. A fire broke out in a store, took out a bunch of stores in town, took out the bank building, post office. No deaths were reported. In 1918, the Merrill Hotel, which was built around 1886, it was located on the corner of Midland Road and Michigan 46. No deaths reported. 1923, which was the last big fire. It was a creamery and a garage. The creamery burned to the ground. The garage burned with it, and a bunch of cars were gone that were located in the garage as well. These are the only fires that happened in Merrill, and obviously there's only one fatal one. So the story about, you know, the town being burnt to the ground after this whole epidemic and shit, until you, I see some proof of that, I'm not going to fucking believe it. Like I said, this is from a respected historian who was born in 1887, died in 1962. Dude, he literally documented the entire history of the town. It is insane. It's it's honestly super impressive. Like I said, it's called Looking Backward if you're interested in reading it. There's some really funny local stories from like the 1800s in there. It's funnier now. But as for epidemics, smallpox, diphtheria, tuberculosis, uh, I think there was one other one that I mentioned at the top of the episode. I checked the health records for Michigan. The only thing I could find was a bunch of shit from 1913. In that, I went through, I didn't count all of them, but roughly in the entire state of Michigan, there were about 200 to 250 cases reported of diphtheria, tuberculosis, smallpox, uh, there, uh, and malaria as well. And that was covering the entire state, okay? Not just this little town of Merrill. So unless there was something going on before 1913 that I couldn't find, I really don't think that story is true. Uh, I mean, it could be. I could be wrong. I would love to see 
some paperwork on that. I'd love to see a death count because here's the deal. Those numbers, that 200, 250 that I counted, those weren't deaths. Those were just cases that were reported. You know what I'm saying? So let's say half of those people in the entire state of Michigan in 1913. You got to kind of look at the history and see where these ghost stories are coming from. You know, they say, oh, you know, Dice Road, this general store, the Pomeranian house, all of this is super haunted because all this shit that happened. Listen, there's no fires, okay? There were some stores that burned down a few times, at least two deaths, if not three. I'm not sure if the guy got out of the fire of two little girls. You know, they, I don't really think they're going to get shitty and like start haunting people and banging on the side of their house. But at the same time, what makes this case super interesting is all the police documentation from all those agencies that I mentioned. You have cops that have witnessed it, that have heard it, that would not go back to the house. And this isn't just one tiny little Merrill Police Department cop. This is several agencies that investigated this house and could not come up with an explanation for how or why any of this stuff happened. I find that pretty pretty odd so i hope you guys enjoyed the episode and read a couple reviews here good lord i got a fucking got some pretty good ones kind of super happy about that all right let's see what we got five stars from ann it says interesting content it's a good podcast with good content justin's voice is like that of a whiskey drinking cowboy from 1800 after he's slain a wolf saving a saving a beer wench from its jaws after which he takes her <laughs> that you know what i don't know who you are and i really truly do not but just because of that review i email me i want you to email me uh justin.mcpodcast at gmail.com i'm gonna buy a the t-shirt or something from the merch shop so uh yeah just email me Tell me where to ship it. Tell me what you want. Uh, size, whatever. You know, whatever t-shirt. But <laughs> I'm going to buy you something from the merch shop for that. You know, if you don't want a shirt, pick out a coffee cup. You know, fucking leggings. I don't know. I make sweatpants and leggings and fucking shower curtains. I don't, I don't know what's all in there. I actually just bought my first shirt from my own merch shop that I've had for like three years. Um, yeah, I'm not 100% sure what all I got in there. Uh, justin.mcpodcast at gmail.com uh, this one that one's on me <laughs> all right next is five stars melro 7583 awesome podcast first almost all the negative reviews are because of language even though there are multiple disclaimers not the podcast itself justin is providing free entertainment if you don't like it walk away and your life is unaffected second 
Love Deputy X. Love Justin's conversational, unscripted approach. When I listen, I feel like I'm chilling with the guys, telling war stories, and Justin always has the best one that anyone listens, everyone listens to. The man is doing what he loves, and his solid research and unbiased fact-checking show that. Can't wait till he does one show on Ken McElroy. Hint, hint. Awesome podcast. Go Army! Fuck, man. I thought I just made a new friend right there. Apparently not. Nah, you know I'm bullshitting, man. I love all all the brothers and sisters in arms, man. Um, I always throw a bunch of love to the uh, to the armed forces and the civil servants. You know they deserve it. <sighs> we can go army. Come on now. But uh, anyway, yeah, I'll I'll do Ken McElroy. I've actually been requested to do that a shitload of times, but I know they just came out with this documentary documentary on it on Sundance, I think starting to kick up steam so i started getting more requests for it again so i can put it i can put it on the list you know you got to give me a little bit of time it's a pretty long list uh, and i already have like shit coming in you know in the next month or so so just give me a little bit of time i'll hit up ken mcelroy but uh thank you you know for leaving that leaving that review that's awesome this one is uh five stars from alexis 412 says surprised me when i started listening to your podcast i came for the true crime and paranormal i've just never had any interest in the old western mob history until hearing you talk about it your usual conversational tone like you're having a drink with a buddy really brings history to life i found myself so interested in the lives of these people i was looking up additional documentaries afterwards Totally changed my perspective on history. Wish one of my teachers would have been like this instead of memorizing dates. <laughs> Dude, that's the one thing I can't do. I, I fucking have to write down dates. But no, like, that's what I love about doing this shit. You know, especially, like, the history stuff. Like, what, you know, and I, you know, I do get the, you know, bad reviews sometimes. Oh, it's not even mysterious, man. It is, though. That's the best part. It truly fucking is. And, uh... The fact that I can get you to check shit out in your own time and on your own accord, that means I'm doing a good job. That right there is a huge compliment for me. Thank you very, very much. I really, really appreciate that. That is a huge compliment, and that's exactly what I love doing. I I love making you guys look into this shit yourselves. So, next one we got here is five stars. It's from uh, XRDVBG. It says, really like this podcast. I listen to a lot of podcasts, mostly mysteries and paranormal. And I like this one because it adds some true crime into my listening of not so well-known and over-talked about cases. Really enjoy it. You know what? It's always been kind of my thing. You know, I try not to hit too many, like way overdone cases uh, i will admit though obviously ken mcelroy will be coming up in the future um i also have uh, the axe man in new orleans coming up in the future i'm hoping to bring some more information to the table that other people have presented but you know the case has been done a thousand times so if you want to i'll probably end up doing that one as a bonus so you know if you want to if you want to skip it you can but no thank you like i greatly appreciate that that was from america so already don't have any new ones from the uk got any from australia just check out canada nope no new ones from canada either so that's all i got for you thanks for tuning in see you guys on the flip side